right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 110. The date today is 5-27-18, May 27th, 18. Uh, normally, we record on Wednesdays. We go live on Thursday. This will go live on Thursday, but I think it's important to get the date on the record. Uh, we, As we started this, we had an hour plus in the bag when we had a computer seize and we lost all the audio. We had to redo it. We've been at this all day today. Thank you, Clint, for hanging in there and doing this with us. You know, Clint says, don't accept these things, don't believe these things, challenge these things. Uh, Everything he puts forward is backed by the research he's done, and he encourages, as do I all the time, that if you have doubts or you don't think there's validity, go out and challenge it. Go out and do the lookups, do the research at the original sources, look up definitions, and get there on your own. But there is a theme that is emerging, and I'm seeing it over and over and over. The first idea is that words have meaning. And that most of us have no idea what the very words we're saying every day mean, and I'm as guilty as anyone else. I try as I might, but I've spent a whole lifetime learning to speak in the way that I do, and it's very hard to police your speech. Something as simply as understanding, implying that you're standing under somebody when you get a concept, when probably the word that we should use if we wanted to elevate ourselves is we overstand these types of ideas. The second thing that is coming to light over and over and over is that there is no lie in the natural world. Um, And that will be reiterated time and again, even referencing back to the Bible as a basis for natural law, not religiosity. Religion, as is pointed out in this episode, is a corporation, and it is sanctioned by the state, which is also a corporation. But this is a heck of an episode. Of all the episodes we've done recently, there's as much information for a person to go out and challenge in this as we're ever going to deliver, probably. So much information, so many ideas, where we tried to cut through the nonsense. On the tail of the episode Jason and I did covering the straw man the first time, we were inundated with emails, and we had to say time and time again, we spend a week doing research. If you really want to get serious about this, you got to go meet people who do it full-time or yourself go out and really begin to learn things, not just over the course of a week. But here's the foundation for anyone who wants to take a closer look. So here we are, episode 110. Uh, I hope you guys all join us for hour two because it goes, I don't know, at least an hour and a half, maybe a little bit more. I'm not sure yet. Um, So much information. And again, in the second hour, none of it is censored in any way. So there it is, man. Let's jump in with Clint Richardson and Jason for episode 110. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio, the podcast. This is episode 110, and actually a funny thing happened on the way to episode 110. We've already done the first hour once before here, and apparently Jason has a ghost in his machine, and we lost probably something slightly over an hour worth of audio. So we're about to retrace our footsteps back through hour one and record what we'd already thought we'd recorded once. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. Hello again, Crow. Let's take two. Right. So just to be clear, and I forgot to mention, Jason Lingren is with me and Clint Richardson. And this man has focused a long time on some specific points of the living condition of the modern man or woman. And these are the things we're going to cover. Jason, anything you want to throw out before we jump right back in here and uh, <laughs> and redo what we just did? Nah, let's maximize our time and get right with Clint. All right, Clint. Welcome back, man. Why, thank you. 
our apologies and uh, also our thanks for agreeing to do this more than mm-hmm. once because it's uh, it's not an easy thing to sit down sometimes for two hours. You know, over the years, I've I've done it. You know, way over a thousand shows at this point, so I'm used to it. It's it's uh, it's something that you you just gotta accept as part of the condition, right? Yeah, it's the first time it's happened to us. But Jason, um, as we go back through this, I mean, we talked a little bit before we started recording again. Why don't we try to focus in pretty much solely on the straw man, at least at the beginning, wherever it may lead. And I'll hand it to you, Jason. Go ahead and kick it off. So Clint Richardson is the author of Straw Man, the real story of your artificial person. And let's just go right into that, Clint. What does that mean? What is this whole straw man identity? There's so much out there on this information, and you have gone right to the heart of the matter, to the specific documents, so that you can actually make sense of this for real and not rely on other people's work. Sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a, as as we talked about in the last show or the last show that didn't happen, there's this thing kind of that we call the Patriot mythology. So there's what people believe is the straw man and who will say, well, it's not a real thing or it doesn't exist. or And then there's the reality or if you will, the legal truth, which is kind of an oxymoron, but we have to understand that the that le- in legalism everything is artificial. So you have to put a name on something to control that thing. You control the thing or the man by the name or identity that you put on it. So I, the word identity actually means sameness. So if we accept a name and a surname that is a registered property of the state, then we have had something put upon us that that we agree is the same as us. So I take out my driver's license and I give that as my identity or my sameness. And it's very important to understand that as the foundation of all this, because we are literally agreeing that we are the same as a fictional character assigned to us. So we go back to the Roman law where this all basically got organized. Corporations existed before then, of course, but in the Roman law or strict law, which is still our system of law, we have something called, in the Latin, stramanius homo. Okay, so this is not a term that I created. It's not a term. It's in all the legal dictionaries. Go to look up straw man or man of straw. And in the Latin, stramanius homo or man of straw, homo is man. It literally says man, a man of straw, one of no substance put forward as bail or surety. Okay, that's right out of Black's Law Dictionary, fourth edition. So a man of straw, one of no substance, put forward as bail or surety. Well, wait a minute. What does that mean? Right? So every every word that you uncover, of course, uncovers three more words that need to be uncovered, or rocks that need to be, or shells that need to be uncovered, which each one of those uncovers another three. So to try to talk about this in a, in simple terms is very difficult because you're basically learning a new language, which is the language that controls us that we don't even know we're speaking, which is the Latin, or excuse me, the uh, legal language which is basically the Latin language or the grammatical set of Latin put to the English structure. So, in other words, when we go into court, or, or basically anywhere, we are speaking as if things are real, and we're speaking in English while the judge or the attorney or whatever, the government, is hearing the Latin or the legal version, the strict law that they created, right? So we're speaking one language, not realizing we're speaking actually 
in person, in a legal person, in a language that they created and have property over. Let me interrupt for a second here, Clint. Like if I'm using the English language and I'm writing, say, an essay and I pick up a dictionary to try to determine what a word means, what book would I pick up to try to get definitions? Is that Black's Legal Dictionary or where would an individual go that wants to start to understand the language in the legal way? So you have to understand what's called the terms of art. Okay, so for every art form, which is anything that is not of nature. So if I'm a doctor, what terms uh, am I going to use? Which which dictionary am I going to pick up? Probably a medical one, right? If I'm a lawyer, an attorney, I'm probably going to pick up uh, whichever law book would apply to the form or system of law or art that I'm practicing. If I'm a botanist, I'm going to look at the Latin terms of plants and learn them and become an expert in, in that field, right? So these are called terms of art. And art is that which is a creation of man, right? It's never the reality. It's the art or the form without substance, okay? That's why they call the straw man a man of straw or one of no substance, a person, a status. There's no substance to it, right? So all these words have no substance. They're all fiction. Another way to say that is that they don't exist in nature. They're creations of man. That when we're born, we don't know language. There's, there's, there are no words. We, we know nothing, right? So these are all, all communication, language, mathematics, all the symbols, all the occultism, all that is a creation of man. And that is the difference between the law of nature, which we would say is a creation of God. If you want to go and get all technical, nature and God being the same concepts, and I can prove that in law, which is very interesting. And then you have the creation of man. Now, if I go get an insurance policy, for instance, I'm doing so in person in, in that straw man name, and my insurance policy will or either will not cover what is called legally an act of God. Right Now, at some point, you have to stop and you say, well, if government calls it an act of God, well, then government must have some belief or a substantial foundation that there is a God. And of course, if you look at all of its paperwork, all its constitutions, all the constitutions thank God uh, in the beginning and then go on to create this, this thing that we're talking about. Clint, it sounds like they have a definition for God, what is God and what isn't, correct? Yes, yes. And that's what I'm trying to, to, to point you to, because it's very important to know that regardless of what you believe, government believes this. And because you're acting as an agent or employee or citizen of government, therefore, you, by default, also agree to these terms of art. So what is, you know, how does government define an act of God. I'm just going to pull this up out of my second book, actually. Okay. An act of God in an insurance policy, which often is not covered, let's say lightning or a flood or different types of things. It's an inevitable accident, a misadventure or a cause <laughs> causality, excuse me, caused by the act of God when it happens by the direct immediate, and exclusive operation of the forces of nature, uncontrolled or uninfluenced by the power of man and without human intervention. So what is an act of God, an act of nature? What is God? Nature. Okay. Well, you see, we've been presented with religion. 
we've been taken away from the Bible. The, the definition of Jehovah in the Bible, which is that highest possible version of God, is nature, the universe, existence itself. That's what we've been kept away from. Instead, we've been given entertainments like religion. We've been given entertainments and uh, flattering titles like atheism and all these things. The whole, the whole thing is designed to keep us away from the Bible. The Bible is a book of law. You must understand that above all else, that the Bible is a book of law. And as I was researching the legal language, being a hater of religion and a hater of the Bible, I kept finding that the legal language always went back to this, an act of God versus an act of man, something real versus something that man created or did, invented, devised, right? You can't patent, for instance, anything in nature or of God, but you can patent something that you create something that you take and you compound and you mix, then all of a sudden you've invented something that is not of nature. Therefore, you can legally patent. The definition of legal, therefore, is anything that is not of God. <laughs> so, I mean, right? that, that, that begs another question then, because any courtroom anyone ever goes into with what we've just been talking about, you're in the construct of men when you're in exactly. a courtroom. You're in a fiction, but there's a Bible there. So, I mean, what are we looking at? Is this some right. kind of a supposed grounding in a, in a real no. natural cause, or why is there's the Bible in that good, fiction? There's a very good reason. Now, when I, I could read you the entire definition, but I'm just going to summarize in the interest of time. It's real simple. The Bible, uh, it's a copyrighted document, the King James Bible. is copyrighted uh, by the crown. It is literally known to be part of the common law of England. The common law of England was thus transferred uh, to the common law of the United States. Okay, And in the dictionaries, you will find, especially the older ones that are a little more honest, they say that, for instance, the Bible is known to be or was officially, is officially, the common law of Pennsylvania. It is the common law. Okay, the common law, in other words, it is the foundation of our system of law. And again, that's why you see it all over the place. That's why you see this word God all over the place, right? When you realize that the Bible is nothing more and nothing less than a book of law, it is not religion. Religions are always built around a source. The source of religions are, in this case, is the Bible. The Bible never changes, but there's thousands of different religions, that's because they're entertainment. They're not real. They are not based on the Bible. They use the Bible just like the Masons. The Freemasons have a Bible, a Quran, and the Talmud as their three sacred books. That doesn't mean that they follow the Bible. No, they, they uh, use it uh, in, a, in a negative way, a negative capacity. So what I'm trying to say here is that we've all been kept from the Bible by religion, which has its own doctrines. The Bible, of course, says don't ever allow any other doctrines. The word doctrine means law to interfere with what this says. And because it's the foundation, the second that you break with it and enter into any kind of contract, use any kind of fictional name, number, identity, i.e. sameness, then you have broken the law of God or the law of nature, same word, and you have entered into the law of man, law of fiction, the law of legality, so, the whole so purpose. In, so in your estimation, Clint, and let's, let's say the supposed founding of this country goes down in the way 
that the history books say it does, which I don't accept. But my point is, was there ever a time here when people were following common law? Do you suppose? Do you suppose? Do you know any yeah. better? Yeah, before um, was, the Constitution. So where is the break point from when people are using basically the Bible as a foundation to natural law or common law when they start to get into fictional, the straw man identity and fictional corporate law? Well, what's your question? When? When was the breaking point in the United States well, the, or probably presumably the United States of America gotcha. back then, right? Right. The reason people came over here was to escape religious, religious, not not Bible, biblical, but religious persecution. All right. And and I can explain what that actually means and why it exists here in the United States. It's actually a very interesting notion because we believe that freedom of religion equates to the ability to have a religious freedom. And those two terms are completely opposite. Freedom of religion is not religious freedom. It's all about how you say these words. And and I can show that to you right now. In fact, let me just go to that because that's the whole difference. When the people came here to escape religious persecution, what that really means is they wanted to live in truth. They wanted to be able to use the, the law of nature and self-govern, because that's what the law of nature is, to be self-governing. The only reason you would put yourself into a situation where you're a citizen of a nation is because you're a plebe. You're a slave. You want to be a slave. You want to have someone govern you and not be self-governing. The Bible is a book that explains and, and gives you an example through Christ Right? You don't have to be religious in any way to understand that Christ is the example of the law of nature and how to follow it, or the law of God. Right? You're not supposed to worship Christ. You're not supposed to be a fan of Christ. You're supposed to follow. And the Bible even says, and that way you become a quote-unquote son of God. But as a person, you're the son of the state, you see, because the person is a product or creation, not of God, not of nature, but of legal fiction, of the state. So you're acting per the son, in the son of the state, which now becomes your false god. Now, I'm not telling you this as my opinion. I'm telling you this is how their system of law, their art form, their matrix that they created, this is the foundation of it. It's like a fictional story. Don't take it as anything but what it is in neutrality. It's not my opinion. It's not my belief. It's what I've come to understand after years and years of trying to understand, getting rid of my ego, getting rid of everything, and just neutrally trying to understand how things actually work. All right? And this is how it works. It's it's a crazy, messed up fictional story that is applied as the law. Hey, Clint, I have a question for you regarding the King James Bible. Since that was completed in 1611, published in 1611 by, obviously, King James, and you said that that was copyrighted, is that the only version that's used in this matrix for very specific reasons, mostly being that it is copyrighted and that this is what they're basing things around for their, I guess, well, what would be the English system at the time? Yeah, because you got to remember, they're, they're not just writing the Bible. They're also claiming ownership of the entire language the Bible is written in. Remember that, okay? You, you can't copyright anything in the United States unless you're admitting, basically, that your work is, is property of the person that you're assigned, the straw man. So when, when you get a copyright on something, you're saying this is government property, 
property uh, registered in a name that is not my own. It's property of the state. And I'm getting certain rights and benefits for forfeiting my actual work over to the state. But when the state copyrights something, I mean, it's just basically saying, look, we, we created the language. It's, it's, the, it's the alternative version. It sounds the same as the common language, but in fact, it's the legal language. And the King James Bible is written in that language. It so sounds I, exactly the same, but mm-hmm. the words go back to the original Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Chaldean, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm telling you that no matter what Bible you read, and I recommend the King James because it is it is law, not because it's the right one to read or because it's a good translation, but because that's the one they use. That's the one you're going to put your hand on in the court, and I'll tell you why you do that. Okay. You can read any Bible. Every Bible will have a different translation of the same original, if you will, works. Okay, so in the Greek, it was written this way. It was translated into English. If I want to know what it actually said, i got to go back to the Greek. I don't care how it was translated into English. There's all kinds of crazy translations out there, all of them, or most of them, designed to mislead you so that you're following a religion instead of the law. Because the religion is an entertainment that that takes you out of the ability to self-govern. Now, Horace Greeley said, he was the editor, an elite, uh, editor of the New York Post. He said, a Bible-reading people cannot be enslaved. He didn't say that because these people are religious, but because they're following the law that is presented in the Bible religiously. See, a religion is a corporation. To act religiously, that's, that's your own actions. That is you following in this system of law that is the foundation of our common law. Once you bypass the Bible, you leave common law, you enter into contract, which is what U.S. citizenship is, and you are now in a different system of law or what is called legality, which technically is defined by several authors as the law which is against nature, against positive. In fact, here, just so we're clear, what system of law you are under, I'm going to pull it up (laughs) so that there's no question here. The positive law is what we call it. It is called the Lex Scripta. Lex Scripta is defined as the Roman law or strict law. In other words, you're not self-governing. You're under a contractual set of laws, written laws. The Bible is considered to be the unwritten, the moral, the scriptural law. The legal system or the positive law is considered to be the written or strict law. Now, again, please keep in mind this has nothing to do with religion or anything else. We're simply talking about the way the system works in a completely neutral capacity. It's not the way I want it to be. It's the way it is. Clint, we lost some things that I think are crucial that we get back in here uh, in, into the hour that we're, we're doing over again. One of those things was the idea of bloodlines. So many people come and they're always asking who, 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 how, how, how. You're addressing the how of it, but let's take a minute to address the who. You pointed out that there's a difference between people who have title or who yes. are entitled. And I'll, I'll reiterate real briefly and then I'll hand it to you. The idea here 
is that there were classes in ancient Rome, if there was such a place in the way we think there was. Uh, the top of that was the patrician class. Those were special bloodlines. Um, we could presume one way, shape, or form that there is some lineage from those supposed patricians or special bloodlines in a place supposedly called ancient Rome up into the modern royalty that interbred all over this world. Okay, that's some of the backstory of what we left aside. But I'm going to throw it over to you, Clint, to draw the line so that people understand um, you started to get into it a little bit with copyright. There's a big difference between the average person walking around on the street who thinks they own a lot and they think they own a home. And even the idea of Barack Obama that you pointed out last time, that there's a bloodline of entitlement that is behind all of this. Go ahead. Sure. And that, and to grasp that, you have to understand that Barack Obama, while he has what appears to be a colored skin, Barack Obama is actually in law, in fiction, in other words, considered to be a white person as white person is defined in the ter- as a term of art in the fictional legal capacity. Why is that? Well, if you look up white person, it says, hey, white person has nothing to do with skin color. See, that's a vulgar common term. Common, which we are, means means common citizen, means vulgar. It means uneducated, unregenerated, un, you know, without the Bible, without the natural law, the law of nature, excuse me, without the law of God. Okay, that's what that means. That, what's, that's what it means to be general, common. So... If there is a common citizenry in the United States, then there must necessarily be something besides a common citizenry. Why would you say that, that, that certain people or certain U.S. citizens, for instance, are common unless there's something else to compare it to, right? Well, there, it would be a pointless assertion to call me a common citizen unless there's some other status that we perhaps don't really fathom or understand. So Barack was not a citizen, huh? You know, when it comes to politicians, you know, you're you're getting into something that we're not supposed to be a part of, which is uniform commercial code, which is trust law and all that. So these guys actually – the reason Barack Obama had so many names that he used was because he creates his own person, his own status as a private citizen of some state – which are the quote-unquote people that we always talk about, the states, actually. The word people and the word state actually mean the same thing. So the fact that we're in the national state or the United States means that we are not of the land. We're not of the territory of the states. We're in a municipal district. A district means seizure, distraint, and distress. We're in a contractual body, politic, that is outside of any of the states united. So we're not in the 50 states. We're national citizens residing in a state. Well, a Chinese citizen can do that. I mean, that's not that's nothing special. But we're fooled into still believing that we're part of this posterity. So, so you go into the Constitution and you read the preamble, which means purpose or reason why this thing is being created, and it says, we the people. Well, there was debate in the Continental Congress as to whether that should read we the states or we the people, because the words are similar. Okay, to be in a state is to be a people. So we the people, why did they write it that way? Why is the word people capitalized? That means it's a capitonym, and people refers to a certain status of people. It cannot mean all people, because then there'd be no point in establishing a nation. If you said we the people, well, 
that refers to everyone, right? That's who, who's not the people. So there again, why say we the people unless you're referring to a special class or a special bunch of people? There'd be no reason to say it that way other than to say it's just a secluded, right? Otherwise, they could just have said, hey, everyone is creating this constitution for the for these purposes. But you go further into the preamble and it gives you the purpose. It gives you the reason they're creating this. We the people, we the states, we the, the landholders, in other words, the private landholders of the states, we are creating this constitution for ourselves and our posterity. Well, okay. Ourselves, again, can all it doesn't mean everybody, obviously, otherwise the whole thing would be pointless. Right? So it's a specific group of, quote-unquote, who we call the people, and their posterity, which is their bloodline. Barack Obama is a direct descendant of the kings of England. Barack Obama is of the landholding family in Connecticut that I can't think of their names right now. He is a white person, because white person isn't defined by skin color. It's defined by your blood. And that's in the legal dictionaries as well. So, so wait a minute here. So when I read the preamble and it says we the people, uh, I'm not one of those people, am I? Well, it's not that you're not one of those people. It's that your family line has been tricked out of being or, or being self-governing under private law in the state or the territory. See, the word territory comes from the word terra, which means land. All right. We're in the United States jurisdiction, which is a fictional sort of monopoly board spread out all over the, the the territories of the United States, right? When I say United States, I mean the states or the people united in all the territory that is the land of the United States. But when I say United States as a corporation or, a, if you will, a holding company for all U.S. citizens, whether they're foreign or domestic – then you know you're talking about like students who come here from Sweden and get a passport and a and a visa. Those are United. They're in the United States. They're not in the states, right? They're in the public areas of the United States. A corporation, a district, which again means distraint, distress, and seizure. You're basically in an open air prison. And that's what all public lands are: an open air debtor's prison. Okay, so when you're talking about being a United States or national citizen, you're put on you're put you're, you're a resident of a state, but your domicile is the United States. Therefore, you're on a giant monopoly board, and everywhere you walk as a United States citizen in any state, keep in mind that every state is foreign from each other, and that the United States is foreign or private from every state. That's why they each have different sets of law. But as a U.S. citizen, you're under United States law. United States law trumps state law because you're a national citizen. So you're on this monopoly board, and everywhere you step is the property of some private citizen or is a land held in trust, public trust, by the United States. Therefore, everywhere you, you trespass legally with license or easement, all the public lands 
Everywhere you go, you're going to pay a fee. You're going to pay taxes. You're going to pay property taxes because guess what? The house you live in, you don't own. You registered it in the person, the straw man, the property of government, which is a United States citizen. If I had a house, it would be under Clint Richardson. My car is under Clint Richardson. I have a title that shows that I'm not the holder of the property, just the user. I'm the tenant, right? So the the whole thing, the corporate structure of the United States, the seat of government was moved there and – so Congress created the United States. You got to understand that. Anything that Congress creates becomes property of the quote unquote States United. Clint, before we get to that part, we mentioned ancient Rome and of course Rome controlled England and then England of course those folks came here to make the United States. Did all this get carried over before we ever get to having a Congress here? Did all this start with the different levels in Ancient Rome, how we were discussing earlier, the common and the plebes and all that, did that get carried over from ancient Rome, then to England, then to what would become the United States? Yeah, it's, 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 it's all the same. Uh, Is it the same system, but it just kind of got built up over, the, over time? It's, um, I wish it was easier to, to explain the way it works, but when I go to the dictionaries again, and I, and I want to understand how uh, the history of this, we have the law of the land and the law of the sea. And the idea was to get the law of the sea onto the law of the land. And I've got court case after court case of, of them warning that this is happening a lo- throughout history and how bad it is. Now, let's be specific about that, because we did a show on maritime admiralty law, and that's what we're referring to, correct? That's also from right, the ancient right. Roman era, where that governed commerce, but they were trying to right. find a way to get the, the commercial status of the sea to now have influence over the people, right? Right. And so technically what that means is that they had to create a vessel or i.e. a ship. That's why they call it a citizen ship, right? To sail on the seas of commerce. When Jesus in the Bible walked on water, this is allegory, this is metaphor for Jesus walking over the sea of commerce without sinking. He did not need a ship. He was not part of the, the world, uh, the, the, the legal system, in other words. The world in the Bible is refers to what's created by man uh, or as opposed to the earth or terra, right? So, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's saying is that see, Christ didn't need a vessel because he wasn't participating in anything unreal. He was living in truth at all times following the law of nature, i.e. the law of God. He's the example we're supposed to follow to be in the same uh, situation where we are not caught in commerce because we're not using the property of another. And that goes back to the definition of of the straw man to be bail or surety for another. Well, (laughs) a bail, you know, you're, you're talking about being in bondage and in surety. Surety means that you are the one that is responsible for the well-being of the vessel, or say if I rent a car, I'm surety for that rental car to make sure it comes back safely. And therefore, when I use that vessel, that car, or that citizen, that person, I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to use this, and therefore I'm expected and presumed to follow the law that that is already attached to that. It's not my property. My person, my name is not even my property. The, the, the name I put upon my child at birth is not my property. Okay, so, This is so, the problem. We're using the property of others, 
believing that it is our property and then wondering why the heck we get in trouble when we misuse it. So I, I got to ask here, um, I know a lot of people are probably thinking about this, um, is the idea, the fictional straw man, was that mutually exclusive from the maritime law, on the, the onset of maritime law? Did these things come to bear together, or did we end up with the straw man idea first and over time, because you're saying you referenced cases where they're warning, this is coming, this is coming. I've even read accounts where supposedly, I don't know how much truth there is to it, um, the idea of what sea, sea level was was actually raised to some artificial mark on Pike's Peak or some nonsense. But my point here is, did we end up with the straw man and then move into Admiralty, or did they come together? How did all that happen? Uh, let me read you a quote. This is the sources of law, sources of the law in Bouvier's Law Dictionary, 1856. The reason this is an important document, an important dictionary, is because it was actually commissioned by Congress to explain the terms that surround this, specifically the Constitution. So it was actually inducted as part of the the law. Uh, Bouvier's Law Dictionary, 1856. Here's what it says: The principles of the Roman law being generally founded in superior wisdom, have insinuated themselves into every part of the law. Many of the refined rules which now adorn the common law appear there without any acknowledgement of their paternity. And it is at this source that some judges dip to get the wisdom which adorns their judgments. In other words, your judges are going to Roman law. The proceedings of the courts of equity and many of the admirable distinctions which manifest their wisdom are derived from this source, Roman law. To this fount, uh, fountain of wisdom, the courts of admiralty owe most of the law which governs in admiralty cases. Okay, that answers your question right there. Admiralty and Roman law are the, are the same. <laughs> so they were they were they were indistinguishable. Um, is there any truth to the idea that there was even an artificial moving, a fictional moving of what sea level is to to implement it over all the land, or is it more true uh, that just the currency or the current that you were riding on is what you know makes these well, things possible? Is so there, you're, is you're you're you remember you're talking about fictional terms. What they call the sea and what they call the land aren't really the land or the sea. Okay, these are fictional cartoons, essentially, that they create, they make the words, the terms of art that describe and define what the sea is. Do you think that the holy sea that the that the Pope uh, rules over is actually the sea? Good point. Right? So yeah. we, we, we got to consider, remember above all else to remain neutral, get emotion out of it, and remember this is all fiction. And they make the rules of their own fiction, their own property. What is the written law? Remember, the Bible is considered the common or unwritten law. It is the law that, that allows you to self-govern without the uh, protections and safeties and securities of the, the system. In other words, it's for the, the people who, who wish to be free. The only way you can be free uh, as President What's-His-Name said, you will be governed by either God or by men. I believe it was Roosevelt. You will either be governed by God, in other words, the law of nature, the Bible, or you will be governed by men, in other words, those who seek to control you and create this whole matrix to do so. All right, The written law, or lex scripta, consists of the Constitution of the United States, the constitutions of the several states, the acts of the uh, different legislatures, the acts of Congress, and the legislatures uh, of the several states uh, and of treaties, okay? What is Lex Scripta? 
Like scripta. Strict law. Written law. Something that is written is strict. Okay. Law deriving its force not from usage but express legis- legislative enactment, i.e. statute law. If the written law be silent, this is a maxim of law. Okay. If the written law be silent, that which is drawn from manners and customs ought to be observed. Okay. Next, if that, if the manners and custom is in any manner defective, then that which is next and analogous or similar to it, uh, or next in order, uh, if that does not appear, then the law which Rome uses should be followed. That is a, a maxim from Lord Coke. Um, and uh, this dictionary, Black's Fourth, which was 1950, I think, is so far followed at the present day that in cases where there is no precedent of the English courts, the civil law is always heard with respect and often, though not necessarily followed. Remember, civil law is the written law. So you're under the law of Rome because you have contracted to be in it. Now let's go back to the Bible. Why do you swear an oath to the state upon by putting your hand upon the Bible. This is so important that I that when I when I understood it, I was shocked. Let let me take a stab here. I'm going to take a wild guess, okay? Because it's real, because it's a foundation, because it's not arguable and it's not a fiction. How close am I? Okay. Well, the law of the Bible, the law of nature, says do not embrace, respect, or use, or have anything to do with anything that is artificial. Anything that is legal, anything that is a person, a, a, a title, anything, you you are only what you are, which is an act of God, an act of nature. You are part of God. You are part of nature. You are part of the universe. So when we say have faith in God, that means I'm having faith in man because man is part of, of the, the whole. That's the beautiful concept behind this, and it's what religions take you away from. They don't want you to know. <laughs> religions are created by the state. You don't want you to know the truth, which is that you are the temple of God. That's what it says right in the Bible. Okay, temples of the God is not found in things built by the hands of men, right? Nature is not found in what man creates or builds or, or so. So why are you putting your hand on the Bible and and swearing to a false god, a judge? When you're supposed to be judged only by God, why are you swearing an oath to a fictional state, a corporation, by putting your hand on the Bible? You're literally, when you put your hand on the Bible and you do such a thing where the Bible tells you do not ever take false oaths, do not ever, do not ever swear, that doesn't mean cuss, that means don't swear your allegiance to anything but the God of nature and its law, right? You're literally blaspheming the entire system of natural or law of nature, law of God, and saying, I pledge allegiance to the fiction. I'm you're literally signing at that point. You're, you're literally tacitly signing a contract with the devil because the devil can't affect you as the, as the parable or the allegory goes, the devil cannot affect you unless you contract. That's why he's always trying to get you in the stories, gives you the contract. Well, as soon as you put your hand on the Bible, you are and swear an oath to a fiction, another God, 
right? And the definition of God is magistrate. That could be a judge, a mayor, a president, a king. As soon as you do that, you have just informed the court that you are not self-governing, that you are an imbecile, that you do not know the law, and that you must have an attorney represent you, or you will represent yourself in agency, and that you are the point is you're not self-governing under the you are in this system. You've just completely taken a big crap upon the very foundation of our law, and therefore you must be governed by men because you are not able to self-govern yourself. That is why they have you swear on the Bible. Is it consent though? Like you by doing that, you're saying, yes, I consent to this system. Yeah, you're you're expressing. I mean, I'm sorry to—I don't mean to offend—but in their language, you're expressing the fact that you're an imbecile, that you cannot represent yourself, that you that you are not regenerate, that you are not able to follow and self-govern yourself under the law of nature. That's that is what you are doing by putting your hand on the Bible. Now, Clint, that's how they're doing it now. We were obviously referencing ancient Rome the whole time to in relation to all of this. How did we go from Rome? the Roman Empire, let's say, to the Holy Roman Empire, which then became the Catholic Church, all of which still used Latin the whole time, which, of course, still governed into England. But then you get the Church of England, which is separate from that. They have the copyright, the publishing rights, whatever you want to call it, for the King James Version of the Bible, which is what you were just talking about that you're swearing on. How did we kind of go from Rome all the way up to to today? You know, I... I... You can you can go to, for instance, the uh, Plato's. I can't remember if we talked about this already or if it was the last time. I think but, it was uh, last time around. You covered yeah. that. Go ahead. Yeah, if you look at, for instance, Plato's five regimes, which are you see in every society. You start with an aristocracy, which is the priest class that that is assigned to to be the rulers, who have no wealth and property, and it's a perfect you know perfect religious. Uh, system, if you will, that quickly falls apart as soon as the next generation is born and discovers that they can vote themselves money out of the treasury, etc. And and it goes to democracy. It goes down to democracy, which is the fourth level, which is the worst place you can possibly be in a society. And I got all kinds of quotes in the book for that. And then the next place you can go, the only place you can go from democracy is tyranny. Um, because with democracy, there essentially is no legitimate government anymore and yeah i mean the the founding the 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 people who created this country those what we call the you know those mythical founding fathers were absolutely 100 percent against democracy because they knew that every time uh, a a nation or an empire would go into a democracy democracy it would fail and to that i give them a little bit of credit um and I can, again, I can quote from them saying so. This is not a democracy. The only way they could protect their private land rights is to, to remain, i.e., a republic. Once you get into to, to public, then, yeah, you're no longer, you no longer have those private rights or what we consider God-given rights. And, and you know, that from that point, you can go into so many different directions um, that I, I almost hesitate because what we have done in the— Declaration of Independence, it says our rights are God-given. Again, you can't just ignore that. You have to understand what that means. That means nature 
that our rights are negative in nature, meaning we can't be touched. We cannot, the law cannot be forced upon us. Instead, and, and this is key to, to just about everything, is we're put under, we sell those rights and get instead legal rights or corporate uh, civil rights under the Roman law, the strict law. So we've gone from the unwritten spiritual law to the written law, the, the law of Rome, essentially. And here is how positive law is defined. And, dude, if you get anything from this, get this. Positive law from Black's fourth edition, law actually and specifically enacted or adopted by proper authority for the government of an organized jural society. A law in the sense in which that term is employed in jurisprudence is enforced by a sovereign political authority. Now, keep in mind, your only sovereign is supposed to be God. Okay, so in other words, the word sovereign essentially boils down to the, the word God. No man is supposed to be sovereign. Our sovereign is supposed to be, you know, the God of nature. Now, what is positive law? Positive law is distinguished not only from all rules, uh, which, like the principles of morality— and the so-called laws of honor are fashioned, but are enforced by an indeterminate authority, but also from all rules enforced by a determinate authority. So there you have the indeterminate authority, Congress, and what it creates, which is the United States and the entire police force, uh, which is either on the one hand superhuman <laughs> or on the other hand politically subordinate in order to emphasize the fact that laws in the strict sense of the term are thus authoritatively imposed. Uh, they are described as positive laws. Now, when I go to the maxim of a, what positive law is, this is the important part. Positive rules of law, in other words, what man creates, the written law, the legal law, the civil law, the law of citizens of the United States, Positive rules of law as distinguished from the maxims or principles of law, which most of which come from the Bible, or conclusions of reason. So positive law is distinguished from principles of law and of reason, will be receded from rather than that crimes or wrongs should be remain or punished. In other words... When the positive law gets out of hand, we go back to the law of God, which is supposed to overrule it. So, okay. Clint, I want to interject here because, I, and I, like you, I don't remember whether this was in the hour we just redid or the one prior, but we get so many emails from people wanting to opt out. They don't want a straw man identity one more. They don't want all these things. They haven't really done their homework. And I know we began to address it, but let me try to sum up. And you can tell me how close I come. In the modern era, if we wanted to go out in the world and try to find some kind of a group of people that were living, or a group of humans, I guess I should say, or a group of men and women who were living under natural law, you'd really have to go to the middle of the rainforest, right? These people don't have cars. They don't have insurance. They don't have services. They don't have health care. They don't have money. Um, is that really what it comes down to? If someone wanted to opt out of all this, basically, am I correct in asserting here that you're walking away from most of the services, goods and services, money, health care, buying and trading? I mean, most of that's out the window if you opt out, isn't right. it? So you got to consider one thing, and this is the hardest part to, to remember, is that you are not your person. 
Okay, your person is your reputation, your name, your status, your numbers, all these things that are assigned to you and are property of government. When you get a Social Security card, it specifically says this is property of the United States. It's not your property. It's not your number. It's the number assigned to the person that you are a user of. Okay, users users have no natural rights. Users follow the law of the property they are using, period, end of story. You are a user in every facet of the meaning. Now, take that understanding and realize that the entirety of this system of law, this positive law, and the reason they say it's positive is because the law of nature is negative. It's not written. It's not some, it's, it's self-evident. It's not something that needs to be written down. It is the moral law. It is, it's hard to put that into terms you know, in words. Okay, so the positive law, the legal law, is designed to be against the natural or the law of nature, the unwritten law, written versus unwritten, right? So you got to understand that the entirety of the United States Code only applies to United States persons. It doesn't apply to you unless you use its person. The law is attached to the person, just like the law is attached to the vehicle, the, the car that you rent. You have to, if you, even if you go to another country and rent a car, you have to follow their laws because that car is the property of the government. You have to, if you're using the property of another, and when I say property, I don't necessarily mean something I own. I mean, oxygen is a property of water, is it not? Okay, I am a property of God. I am a property of nature. But the person, the status I'm operating in is the property of government. It was a creation of government. I'm a creation of God, but I'm acting as a creation of the state because I'm surety. I'm in bondage to this thing. I've created debts. I've registered everything in its name. And therefore, all those things that I've registered in the name of property that is government— mm -hmm is under their law, their terms of art. I've entered, gone from nature, and I've entered into an art form, a, pic a picture of nature, a, a, a matrix, if you will, created by them, right? Can I go into the matrix unless I plug in to a person that already is in the programming of the matrix? No. A living man cannot go into the the legal matrix, it's impossible. Just like a cartoon cannot come outside of a television set or the cartoon realm, like in that movie, <laughs> and exist in nature. We're talking about nature versus fiction. Everything, this whole system is based on the law of nature and the law of anti-nature, the law of fiction. If you understand that, and you every question you ask, you got to remember what is the law attached to the law of nature or law of God is attached to man. The law of, of fiction is attached to persons. That is what a straw man is a, a man of no substance, a person, a fiction, a bail, a surety, right? So that is the, the idea, the whole reason behind creating this entire system from religion to the legal system is to take you out of nature, to get you to acknowledge that you are not 
an act of God, that you are not part of nature, that you are acting in a fictional capacity. You are literally entering into a cartoon realm and claiming to be a cartoon in all your actions. And because of that, you're bound by the cartoon law, the law that creates and defines what a cartoon is. That's what being in surety is, and that's why the Bible says never be in surety. You see, everything you do in the legal law, the Bible tells you not to do. So, Clint, let me put a, let me put a marker down here. We're approaching the top of the hour. There's so much that, that we're going to cover when we get back into the second hour. Jason, do you want to take very quickly, do you want to add anything before I wrap up the first hour? Well, what it sounds like Clint is saying is that you have to consent to be part of the system, whether you consciously realize it or not. To interact with the system, you're basically giving, given consent. And I'm very curious to know, what level would you have to be at financially? Because Crow and I have discussed this before, and we can discuss this into the second hour, that if you really wanted to not be part of the system, but obviously still be a part of physical society, you'd probably have to do everything through cash and keep yourself out of the system as far as on paper. But again, we don't have time to get into that now. We'll have to address that in in the second hour. Um, we're going to run the first hour on a radio show, so we've got a tight thing here. But I would point out, uh, in the in the hour that we lost, you made a hell of an allegory to a movie called Tron, pointing out the users. And I would also point out to everyone listening, even in the movie The Matrix, I mean, once Neo's pulled out, how are the goods and services for him there afterwards when he's eating that right. green gruel? But um, right. I'll tell you what, we're going to wrap up the first hour of episode 110. We're going to come back. We may go a little long. Um, There is so much that we have to get through. Anyhow, at the posting of this episode, there will be 110 free hours of content on Crow777radio.com. You do not need to log in. If you want to become a member and support free speech, and believe me, free speech over on the site is getting to be a bigger deal all the time. When we get over there in the second hour, we'll say all kinds of things that we have to be concerned with because censorship tube has its black-eyed beast on us all the time. There it is, man. Hope to see all over at crow777radio.com. Cheers.